Welcome to the Feminist Funk Shira podcast, seasons one and two. Today we're going to be discussing the relationship between Shira and Katra slash toxic friendships. And then we will talk about toxic parental relationships or the upbringing of Shira and Katra by Shadowweaver. Just to clarify, we're talking about the new Shira series. Yes. Shira and the Princesses of Power, which is a remake of the 1980s show. In case you haven't seen either season one or especially season two because it came out like two or three months ago, turn back now. <laughs> okay, so one of the main episodes that explores Adora and Katra's relationship is episode 11 in season one, mm-hmm. Promise. Now, the title is referring to a promise which is revealed at the end of the episode. It's a flashback where Katra is crying and Adora comes to see her and says... It doesn't matter what they do to us, you know? You look out for me, I look out for you. Nothing really bad can happen as long as we have each other. And Katra says, you promise. And Adora says, you promise. And then the small versions of them leave to go catch up with everybody else. And then little version of Katra looks at adult Katra, which is very strange because Mm -hmm. it's a simulation. She's not supposed to look back unless if Katra, little Katra, was looking back at something. But she looks directly at adult Katra like she's trying to communicate something. I remember the first time I watched it, that episode was so fascinating for me, but I knew the moment I finished it, I'm just like, I need to watch this again. Because there was so much to unpack, especially that moment, because it's so poignant. And I think it's the sort of turning point for Katra. It's like her kind of realizing something, or her thinking she realizes something. And you can really see that in the episode, because the first time that Adora is about to fall into a crevice, Katra saves her, she grabs her hand. And then they have that whole, like, oh, like, I know that you like me kind of thing. And then Katja's like, no, I don't like you. But the second time, this is after the flashback, the second time that Adora is about to fall into the pit, Katja cuts the goo, which is holding Adora to the top of the cliff, and she lets her presumably fall to her death, maybe? Pretty like, we don't know yeah. what's down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the same time she, in the following episode, seems to be okay with her coming back. Um, I have a theory, if you don't mind me just Sure, go ahead. As to, like, what that moment means, yes, especially for her. So Adora makes the promise that nothing bad can happen if we're together, right? And in an interesting way, that's always true for Adora. Nothing bad yeah. ever happens to Adora as long as they're together. Mm-hmm. Things only start going badly for Adora once they're no longer together. But for Katra, it was always kind of the opposite case. When they were together, she was sort of dragged down, at least in her perception, where she was never quite able mm-hmm. to get ahead. She was always second best. And so I think that moment where she sort of sees it, and she sees herself crying, and then she sees Adora sort of making this promise to her, as much as it's meant to be this like sort of feel-good moment, she realizes, wait, this is the beginning of a problem. Right. Which is why it's so interesting that when Adora's hanging off the cliff and Catra's looking down, and she's like, oh, you always wanted a psychic. Mm-hmm. You, she always had to act the hero. Mm-hmm. And that's why Catra always had to be second best. It also reminded, that moment for me made me think, well, of course Catra thinks this. This is all she knows. Everybody who has been in her life, who was supposed to play a big part in her life, was not there for her or didn't treat mm-hmm. her right. With We see that with Shadow Weaver. We see that in one of the flashbacks where the other girl, I forget her name, Lani, Lani like, kind of gangs up on her because she's like, you're not playing fair. But Katra, she can't play fair. She can't beat Adora. This is the only way that she can win. So yeah, it's not fair, but it's kind of equity in a way. It's kind of leveling the play field. So I was, yeah, for me, it was just like the result of 
a traumatic upbringing, of course she's not going to trust anybody. Of course she's going to think that Adora never wanted to be her friend and never wanted to yeah. be there for her because that's what she learned from Shadow Weaver, who was basically her mother. What I kind of realized, too, is that ironically and unfortunately, Adora ended up echoing a lot of what Shadow Weaver taught them about Catra. Really? Because she didn't believe that Catra could do certain things. Right. Like, in the episode, Catra says, like, oh, you never had much faith in me anyway. It's true. And Dora's like, well, can you blame me? And, like, it's a constant thing with them that, like, yeah, Catra does flout the rules. Yeah, she doesn't care very much. But she's also been taught, well, you can't even win, so why mm-hmm. even try? And Adora plays into that. Like, mm-hmm. even throughout Prophet's episode, and it's the first time they even encounter each other when, like, Adora runs away and she becomes She-Ra, Adora's trying to convince Catra to come join her, right? And it's good intention, but at the time she's not listening to what Catra needs. And that's the sad thing about it. Like, so Catra's taken on a lot of what Shadow Weaver's kind of told her and, like, unfortunately, like, embedded it within her, but so has Adora about Catra. It's true. I remember something stuck out to me in the episode where Catra gets caught by the weird bug monster Mm -hmm. and then she's wrapped up and she's got it. You know, she's saving herself. I'm going to talk a little bit more right after this. But so she's got it. She's right about to give the final blow to the bug. And then, of course, Adora swoops out of nowhere, kills the fucking bug. And then Katra is annoyed and she's like, I had it. And Adora, <laughs> in the most condescending way, is like, sure you did, taps her shoulder, you know. It's like, well, fuck you too. You know? But that moment is also a good metaphor for their past and their relationship. Because when she first gets caught and she can't, like, speak, she mutters, Adora, she's calling out for Adora's help, and Adora's not there. And she cries, and she has to save herself. And I feel that's a very good metaphor for their entire relationship, because they promised to be there for each other. Adora left because she had to, mm-hmm. but then Katja was left all alone, and she has nobody to protect her, so she has to protect herself. And she makes do, and she does a really good job. Well, like, as much as you could in the horror. Mm-hmm. What I find so fascinating is that everyone links Katja and Adora together. They... They're, they're a package deal, according to the board. Um, and even Shadow Weaver acknowledges that. Like, when Adora runs away before Shadow Weaver knows that she's She-Ra, she's, like, saying to Catra, like, well, you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You actually know what's going on, because you're always together. And Shadow Weaver insists, like, oh, Adora wouldn't have left without telling you anything. Which sort of is the case, because she did end up telling Catra, but only because Catra woke up. That's true. So she would have run away and then never come back, and Catra wouldn't have known. Now that would have been even worse. She would have been even more fucked up. It would have been really messed up. Their relationship is so interesting. They're so intensely, like, intertwined and enmeshed. But at the same time, like, Adora does go off and do her own thing, sometimes without realizing how it affects other people. Right. And vice versa, of course. But, yeah. Like, one of my big nitpicks with Adora is, like, she has this really big hero complex. She Mm -hmm. is a good person. She wants to leave the horde because she realizes they're doing bad things, and that's Mm -hmm. good. But she also not only abandons Catra, but really abandons Lonnie and the rest of them. And they're all her friends. But she thinks that she would never abandon her friends. She says it later on in the season, oh, I would never do that to people. But she does. And it's like, Adora, you don't realize that you have this problem? Anyway. Yeah. So so anyway, that's my one of my movies with her. But where was Yeah, that? she just like, if somebody's evil to her, it seems like they're not people anymore. Except for... Catra in a weird way, but it seems yeah. like, oh, you guys are bad, I don't give a shit about you. Exactly. She doesn't stop to think, hmm, why are they there? What's their history? Yes. Could they change if they had a different background? You know, they're mm-hmm. still people. Yeah. Even if they are working for the Horde. Yeah. And there are reasons they're they're still around sometimes, right? Like, she just thinks, like, oh, as soon as you know that they're bad, you're gonna leave. That's all she does to try to convince Catra. She's like, don't you know what the Horde is doing is bad? And it's like, well, yeah, but what have the princesses done for her? 
It's true. Where where could she go? Would they accept her? Like, yes, they yeah. accepted Adora because she's Shira. Katra is not Shira. Her <laughs> history is like even more fucked up. So why would they trust Katra? Exactly. So it's like Adora like just has a hard time listening. And she does it in that scene too, where like Katra could protect herself, like could fend for herself, but she's not actually paying attention to what's been going on around her. So mm-hmm. so yeah. One of the things that I find so interesting about their friendship, uh, because I'm not like this with my friends, to an, maybe to an extent, a very small extent, but not really, is they have this whole like teasing kind of like ribbing thing going on mm-hmm. between them, right? They sort of like the whole sarcastic, like, oh, could you really handle that? Or like even at the beginning where Katra kind of screws over Adora in order to, mm-hmm. to sort of be the one who finishes first and like kills the robot. Um, so they have this like interesting rivalry but friendship at the same time and it's like an interesting dynamic because they tease each other so much and so much of their friendship affects the way that they interact with other people. Right. So Adora tries to do the same thing with Bow and Glimmer. She does it to a lesser extent. Plays with them, jokes with them, teases them. And the catcher just doesn't care about other people. <laughs> so like their relationship is interesting in that way because it's very much so based on a rivalry but they're also super close. Mm-hmm. So there's this like toxic undercurrent kind of going on there Mm -hmm. with the way that it manifests like it doesn't have to be toxic teasing ribbing doesn't have to be right but it becomes that for them Mm -hmm. so I don't know like if you had any other thoughts about that it's very interesting because whenever I hear about friends teasing each other it seems to always be a very stereotypical masculine thing Mm -hmm. I remember when I first started dating my boyfriend and he would kind of tease me about stuff and then I would cry and I would be like why would you say that to me (laughs) and I was like I was joking I was and I would say, you can't do that to me. You know how, like, my upbringing, like, how this is, like, a nerve for me. Why would, you can't do that to me. So I feel like we're conditioned to just have a very different way of interacting with each other. So it's very weird to see women interacting like this because we're not used to it. So to me, that's why it feels kind of strange. But it makes a lot of sense given the rough childhood that they had. Yeah. Their entire upbringing was just being prepared to be soldiers, so of course they would be competitive. And then of course they're competitive because Katra feels like she's second best. She feels like she has to defend her being alive, basically. Yeah. So of course that's going to create some competition. And also because of the fact that Shadow Weaver picked favorites, that's yeah. going to obviously increase the competition because you're going to want to be... On top. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's it's funny that the rivalry that they have now on different sides of this conflict in a weird mm-hmm. way, like, almost an accentuated version of what they had before, it's right? It's true. They still tease each other. Like, whenever Katra Glacies her, she's like, hey, Adora, it's always, it's meant to be aggravating, right? And it's, it's usually what gets Adora sort of riding yeah. after her, effectively. But that's the thing. It's sort of, like, she took that element of their rivalry, that teasing part of their relationship, and then accentuated it. And at the same time, they know each other so intimately. Like, they know each other best. Like, Adora still knows Catra's favorite number. And she knows that Catra uses <laughs> Even when she's, door. like, essentially drunk, she yes. remembers Catra's favorite number. Who has a favorite number? Actually, I do. It's three. But... <laughs> <laughs> Who has a number that's, like, four digits, though? <laughs> like, that's it's true. Weird. That's random. <laughs> it's really, really random. So Adora remembers these things. And, like, Catra knows exactly how to push Adora's buttons as well. Mm. As much as... Catra like teases Adora when Adora was infected by that virus in season two and she was about to kill her Catra's like well I need to appeal to Adora now because I don't want to die and she knew that like Adora if she could get to her would stop mm-hmm. so like again they know each other so well they know each other so intimately in that headspace but now they're enemies and so that doesn't really go away I guess mm-hmm. it's almost like basically you're you break up with an ex and so oh, like someone who you've known I don't want to make the comparison but it kind of works in this context or like yeah you have a childhood best friend this is their case but like an ex who you kind of see who becomes a rival at work. And it's kind of like you know too much about them 
And unfortunately, it bleeds into everything, like, all of your interactions is kind of how I feel with them. They I feel like there's still a love there, though, because they save each other a lot. They do, yeah. So I feel like it's a little bit more complicated, maybe if you still had feelings for your ex. Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes their relationship so interesting. Yeah. And for me, the big question is, is it a toxic relationship? I don't... I think it's almost impossible to kind of get rid of what Shadow Weaver has done to them out of their heads, right? Because Catra mm-hmm. will always see Adora as someone who wants her to almost be second best. Like, mm-hmm. if she were to join Adora in the Rebellion, well, she would still come first. That's true. Like, Catra... And, and not only that, but Catra would be reviled by the Rebellion, right? For being, like, a horde second-in-command mm-hmm. for so long. So, like, it wouldn't work for her there. And if Adora were to come back to the Horde, again, the same thing would happen. So, like, a Catra would be second best. Maybe not come season two, because at that point, Adora has been Shira for a while. But I don't know if you could ever take the negative out of their relationship. And that's the hard thing about it. There's always going to be that undercurrent of tension of, like, well, people have always valued you more than me. I am not the favorite. And as long as you're around, I can't succeed, Right. That's interesting that you bring that up because I actually had that kind of a dynamic with my youngest brother growing up. Mm-hmm. I knew that he was the favorite. I hope to God my parents don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I knew that uh, my youngest brother was the favorite. And at first, I really resented him for it until I got older and I realized that he's not the problem. My parents are the problem. And I also started to realize that he does excel at things, but he excels at different things than me. Maybe it's difficult for Shira and Katra because they want to excel at the same thing, which is why initially Katra's like, oh, I don't care about that kind of stuff. Exactly. And then Adora's like, you said you didn't care about that kind of stuff or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Katra's like, well, I was lying, obviously, <laughs> which is like, yeah, duh, Adora, she's your best friend. How could you not see that? Are you stupid? <laughs> Patrick calls her dumb very often, <laughs> so to be fair. So I feel like they they could get past it, but like it would require therapy, and I don't know if <laughs> therapy exists in this world. <laughs> you see Bo becoming a therapist. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I think Catra is still really devoted to Shadow Weaver. I think that's maybe part of the problem of it, is that, like, Adora has actually gone away, and she has become better mentally because of that. Well, the problem is Adora got more maternal love than Catra did. Catra got nothing. She was treated worse than an animal. So Adora had the advantage there. Catra grew up without a mom. She grew up with an abuser. So she's, like, at a... She's at a huge disadvantage mentally to Adora because there was different pressure... Mm-hmm. on a door and we'll talk about that once we get to toxic parental relationships yeah. yeah it's true that adora has had some positive formation and when she leaves she kind of gets bow and glimmer who are like other kind of positive reinforcements in her life in theory angela but they don't interact so like not really maybe light hope but like she's more of a mentor than a mother figure mm-hmm. whereas katra yeah still has shadow weaver on her mind all the time and then hordak as the weird quasi father who you yeah. want to impress yeah. Like, that's kind of the purpose that he serves. And even he's really terrible. Because he doesn't, like, especially come season two, he really doesn't care about her. Exactly. She's kind of, like, served her purpose. She, like, she's brought in Trapta, like, okay, like, just go away. Pretty um, much. Yeah. I guess the question is, like, is their relationship salvageable? And, like, I, I don't know. Like, at, the, at first I thought yes. Mm-hmm. And then I can't help but think no now. I used to think, okay. So this brings us to season two. 
But I think that if Katra were to get the maternal or parental love that she needs, I think mm-hmm. the relationship would be salvageable. Because as soon as Shadow Weaver shows her a smidge of tiny affection, she's a changed person. She looks happy. She comes back. She's in a good mood. She's all excited. Mm-hmm. Her facial expression her She always looks angry. Mm-hmm. She didn't look angry after Shadow Weaver sort of like played with her hair. And I thought... This is what Katra would look like if she had a good mother. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like if Katra can find the unconditional love that she needs, mm-hmm. I think her relationship with Adora would be salvageable because she would realize that past doesn't matter. It's not who yeah. she is anymore. Adora wasn't the problem. Shadow Weaver was the problem. And yeah. she's not second best. It's mm-hmm. it's really like I don't know cringy or like you know but Katra is the best at being Katra. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very Mister Rogers kind of thing. But at the end of the day, just that's all you could do, right? So, and it's, she's a way better character than Dora anyway. <laughs> I think it's true that they have very different strengths, but it's very interesting to kind of see how they how they work. Like Katra's very good at sort of thinking on the fly and thinking in ways that are sort of unprecedented. She's very creative, but she's also very manipulative. Mm-hmm. Whereas Adora is very good at following rules and instructions. She like has a very moralistic drive, mm-hmm. which makes her very interesting in that sense. Like she's very much the ideal like main superhero yeah. character. And if you could take those separate things and like put them together, leading something, maybe that would be good. Mm-hmm. But it's true, like if Katra could sort of just focus on her strengths, which she kind of does towards the end of season one as she like basically undermines Shadow Weaver, becomes second in command. Uh, is able to accomplish a lot more, like basically kidnapping Bow and Glimmer, destroying the Whispering Woods, that kind of thing. Like she sort of rises in the ranks that way. If that could be redirected in something more positive, mm-hmm. it would be great. But the question is, I guess, kind of going back to the whole, like if she could kind of get that unconditional love, does that have to come from a mother figure or can it just come from friends? <sighs> That's another good question. Because you have Scorpio, right? Scorpio who really loves her almost unconditionally. Like, Ketra can do no wrong, according to Scorpio. Yeah, it seems fake, though, to me. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's... Uh, upon, like, rewatching it, I realized, like, oh, God, I have a lot of the same hang-ups as, as Ketra. To me, it would be very suspicious. I'd be like, why do you like me? What's your game. And that is how I thought for a lot of my childhood, actually. I didn't think that people could actually like me or be good because I thought I was bad. So whenever somebody tried to befriend me, I thought that they wanted something from me. I was very suspicious. So that's why I think she can't open up to Scorpio because it's too like, well, what's your game? What's your angle? Yeah. As for whether it could come from friends or not, I'm not sure. I know that for me, I had to find unconditional love from myself and mentors, which has a... That's the thing, like, you want unconditional love, but it kind of has to be from somebody who has, like, I don't want to say power, but somebody who's, like, a little higher up than you, Mm kind of. Like, for me, the love from my mentors was the closest thing that I could get to, like, love from parents. Okay. It's not the same from friends, because you feel like, it's kind of like your boyfriend, like, yeah, of course they like me, like, but when it's from somebody who's, like, higher up than you socially, and they don't have to, and they're, like, a figure of authority, you really respect them, so you take their word for it more than your friends, because your friends, they don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) This is just my experience growing up with a lot of trauma. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which Catra definitely has. <laughs> there you go. Unfortunately. So, I mean, it could be interesting in season three if they introduce a mentor figure for her, right? Well, we know that she's going to get probably get exiled now to Beast Island, unfortunately. Oh, that's going to be so cool. I cannot wait to see her kick some beasts. I know. It's going to be fun. It's so badass. And who knows? Maybe there are people there, like a little kind of tribe that she can kind of become a part of. Yeah, we, we don't know. Actually, that brings me to another interesting question uh, in terms of the complication between Catra versus Adora, which is less about the toxicity of their relationship, but just the place that they occupy in the world, which is Adora as a princess and how mm. she fits in, right? Versus, like, Catra as, like, someone who visibly is not a princess, right? Like, she is a cat person. Same thing with Scorpia, right? Like, she looks more like a scorpion. Mm-hmm. And so she's rejected. So do you think that kind of impacts some of the way that, like, Catra now sees Adora? Because, like, Adora kind of ran off to be with the princesses who were perfect, so to speak. Sure. Yeah, that's unfortunately... I don't know if that has to do with how Catra sees herself. I think it definitely has to do with how other people see her yeah i don't know if that's a big deal for Katja herself though i don't know that's just me because i think she's so badass like i would fucking like she can swing from stuff and do these amazing jumps like fuck i would love to do that she doesn't even have to be a princess she's so acrobatic she doesn't need supernatural powers (laughs) she can do like circles around like even adora when she's in princess form right and the little hissy thing that she does when she gets that is so cute i just want to hug her clothes (laughs) <laughs> uh, we all want another catch <laughs> I think one of the reasons I was thinking that is because during the princess prom episode mm-hmm. when Catch is trying to convince Scorpia to go and basically defy almost the other princesses by defying expectation she implies that one of the reasons why almost Adora left Catra and now made these new friends is because Catra doesn't fit into this perfect little world of hers because she's a princess now right there's a modicum of insecurity there not a ton but it just comes across occasionally she really doesn't like Bowman Glimmer she knows that Adora left and, like, suddenly became instant friends with them. She, like, met them once, got captured by them, and then suddenly wanted to leave with them. Like, what the hell happened there? And so I think that there is, like, an interesting insecurity that she has, basically about, like, what role Bo Glimmer and the other princesses have in Adora's life. We know from other episodes that they were also raised to hate princesses, the robots yeah. are princesses. Like, episode one. Adora yeah. knows all of these, all of the scary stories that she knows feature princesses <laughs> as these evil ghosts and things. <laughs> yeah. So it's not surprising that Katra would be suspicious of princesses as well. Mm-hmm. Now, suddenly, Adora has become the enemy and she's joining the ranks of the enemy and she abandoned Katra, her best friend, to exactly, join these yeah. perfect world kind of people who don't know what life is like yeah. in like a reality <laughs> check tech, you know, like American tech. Yeah, so for me, yeah, there's a hint of jealousy, but I think it also, again, has to do with their upbringing about just thinking that all princesses are evil and these horrible people. Oh, okay, so it's it's more of a reflection of, like, she just thinks princesses are bad. Although Catra's smarter than that. Adora she believes that Catra figured out very quickly that they were manipulating her, so maybe it's not about that. Maybe, I think you might be right, actually. I think it's because she is a cat person, so she doesn't fit into this perfect princess world, yeah. even though she would be, like, the most badass princess ever. I know, honestly. <laughs> yes. Why couldn't she have been Tira? There is a theory that Catra is a princess, actually. Oh. That she got, like, captured as a baby. Oh. Yeah. So, like, season five. Scorpia is a princess. Yeah. And she's a scorpion person, so. Exactly. 
That would be so bad. Oh, God, I hope that they do that. That, that would, would be, be so cool. And that might be a good way to make it come full circle, Catra and Aura on yes, the same exactly. side. Yes, exactly. And then Catra has to learn how to be good, which would also yeah. be challenging. <laughs> Moving on from toxic friendships to toxic parental relationships. Shadow Weaver was basically Katara. Katara. Oh, fuck. I'm getting them mixed up again. <laughs> what are you thinking of? <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. <laughs> I am sure that Noelle Stevenson watched Avatar. <laughs> oh, I mean, she definitely she, did. In the episode 11, the whole theme of having to let go of this Buddhist notion of letting go yeah. of attachments before oh, you can become the superhero yeah. is a huge deal in Avatar for Aang. Mm-hmm. It's a huge deal. It's a huge part of the hero narrative for yes. Shira and Aang in Avatar The Last Airbender as well. And then, of course, you have Bo, which is basically the not-sexist version of Sokka. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I accidentally call Katra Katara because <laughs> the shows kind of morph in my mind. <laughs> anyway, so Light Spinner is basically Adora and Katra's mom because they found them when they were very young. She's basically the person who raised them. She's also Hordak's second in command, so that's mm-hmm. interesting. But yeah, so she took Adora. Mm-hmm. Hordak was ready to throw her out, basically said, like, this one is special, I'm going to raise her to be special. And somehow she also ended up taking care of Catra. Like, that's the one thing that's really weird to me. They're both her wards. Mm-hmm. I don't 100% know how she got Catra, because we see her get Adora. Yeah, I cannot wait to find out how she got Catra. That's I hope really fascinating. I hope that they yeah. tell us. Yeah. <laughs> But what's fascinating, she also says to Katra, uh, I think during the Promise episode we see that, is like the only reason she keeps her around after a certain point because she thinks she's useless is because Adora likes her. It's true. So she basically turns Katra into Adora's pet. She does. Which is horrifying. But also kind of fitting because she's a cat person, so I yeah. guess Shadow Weaver's like racist yes. against animal people. Not surprising, to be honest. It's a very like Zootopia moment. Yeah. <laughs> Shadow Weaver's very messed up as a person. But it's interesting because we also see her as light spinner in season two. My question is, did she always have this darkness in her, and did it just become exaggerated with the evil spell that she cast? Mm. Or is she just a completely different person now? I get the sense that a lot of the foundation for her was originally in her before she joined the Horde. It just became accentuated. Just because I noticed during that, fla- like, her own flashbacks, when you see her mentoring Micah as well, she has some interesting insecure moments that kind of come out that almost remind me of Catra, which is really fascinating. It's true. Like, where she wants more power. Mm-hmm. She's disgruntled by the fact that the people above her, who she's been trying to impress, mm-hmm. and who she's done so much for, she can never please. Mm-hmm. Um, and they won't listen to her. Um, also, she gets jealous when... Micah? Yeah. She gets jealous when he shows this innate ability that she doesn't have. Exactly, yeah. And so I think, like, these negative parts of her probably did get accentuated by the magic a little bit and then just being in the horde and having control over people mm-hmm. i think that and like that happens with parents too with their kids right like as much as they're they could be okay people before like sometimes insecurities unfortunately come up and get projected onto people who you raise and so i think adora was everything shadow weaver wanted to be and Catra was almost like all the negative things that Shadow Weaver didn't want to be. And so they both got projected on in really, really mm-hmm. awful ways. And in terms of Adora, she doesn't even love Adora. She, no. <laughs> when she first gets Adora, she says, don't worry, little one. We are going to do great things together. Mm-hmm. 
So it's not about Adora being her kid. It's about, oh, good. This is another person I can use exactly. to get what I want. And now that she's invested so much of her energy, Adora, she can't mm -hmm. accept that she's gone and joined the rebellion. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, Ad gosh. Adora is basically an extension of herself. She's like a tool <gasps> and a person. That is super narcissistic, actually. Yeah. That's one of the key traits of narcissistic parents is that children are not allowed to think for themselves. They have to be an extension of you, and if your children respond in a different way than you, you're going to reprimand them. Exactly. So, yeah, you're going to you're gonna try to force them to conform, right, yeah, to this image, exactly. which is perfectly, like, Adora is a weapon in some ways. Like, oh, absolutely. She's been she's been crafted to be this, like, perfect person for the Horde that Shadow Weaver can also control. Mm -hmm. Because Adora believes every single thing that Shadow Weaver tells her. That's true. So it would be so easy for, even if, like, Shadow Weaver had to step down, whatever, for her to continue manipulating Adora, mm -hmm. even in a position of power. But yeah, she just definitely doesn't see Adora as her own person. Whereas Catra has, like, pushed back and tried to be her own person mm -hmm. on a few occasions. And, like, doesn't believe what she tells her, right. so... But anyway, that's its own thing. But yeah, it would not be surprised if Shadow Weaver had like a complete narcissist disorder kind of absolutely thrown in there. Yeah, she has to be the best at everything. That's a very narcissistic mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. It definitely wouldn't be full-blown narcissism, but I feel like there's a, a couple of subtle traits of narcissism yeah. in there, definitely. But narcissism is just exaggerated traits that everybody has also. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so for Adora, the toxic relationship with Shadow Weaver was just that Shadow Weaver is turning her into who she wants her to be, and Adora does realize that she goes along with it. It kind of reminds me of children of parents with borderline personality disorder react two ways, and Katra and Adora both exemplify those two ways in a way. So Adora goes along with it. She's like, this is what I have to do to get affection. This is what I'm going to do. So she's successful, you know, like she wins all of the exercises. We see her training in the first episode. She tries really hard to be what Shadow Weaver wants her to be. And then when Katra rebels a bit, she's like, well, you should try doing what you're told more often. And then Katra does the complete opposite, which is another way that children can react. Because they know that they're not what the parent wants them to be. They'll just be like, well, fuck it. And they'll do their own thing and they'll yeah. rebel. And that's what Katra's doing. So it's like, Adora will go ahead and maximum effort. Catra will put in, like, negative five. Exactly. Catra is the underachiever Yeah. when she's a kid. It's not exactly underachieving because she does try. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, she's rebelling. She fits in the sort of into that category, and Adora is, like, the overachieving. Yeah, definitely. And it makes sense because it's both, like, Catra knows she can't win. So, like, why? The exactly. When she confronts Shadow Weaver was one of my most heartbreaking moments of the show. When Catra confronts Shadow Weaver and she says... I was a child. What could I have done to deserve the way you treated me? Basically, what she did was exist. She was the scapegoat. She was everything terrible and negative that Shadow Weaver wanted to project onto the world. But she became that because that's what she was told exactly that yeah. she was. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens for children of parents with mental illness who don't realize that they're doing this. Yeah. For example, a narcissistic parent needs to believe that their child is bad because if their child is good, that means that the narcissistic person is bad. They live in a very black and white kind of world. So the kid has to be bad. So they tell the kid, you're bad, you're stupid, you're this, you're that. And then the kid absorbs it 
because it would be too much to believe that there could be something wrong with their primary caregiver. It's ingrained in our brains. We're programmed that way. So the kids absorb these negative view of themselves and they end up with this horrible self-esteem problems, which I see so much of in Katra. Yeah, I think that's thinking of that one scene where their kids and Adora manages to beat Katra after Katra played dirty. Mm-hmm. And so she comes in second best again. And Adora says, like, oh, you know, that was awesome. You did so well. And she says these positive things, which is good, though. Like, it's sort of, it could be reaffirming. But, like, Katja has been programmed, effectively, not only to see herself as lesser, but to see herself as lesser than Adora. So she doesn't see it as sincere. I don't see it as sincere either. I don't think it's sincere. (laughs) Because she, it's so condescending. No, she didn't do well. She got in second place. She cheated. Don't fucking tell me I did well when I know that I didn't do well. You're just being an asshole. <laughs> I want to. I want to say that like I don't think Adora's manipulative at all, though. I don't think so she don't, means it that way, but that's how so. it comes off to me. I completely get Katra reacting that way and crying after because it's yeah. getting positive reinforcement for something that you don't feel you did yeah. well in doesn't feel good. That's another kind of parenting yeah. that doesn't. Or let's say you had a bad childhood and your parents insulted you all the time or whatever. Some parents try to overcompensate by telling their kids, you're the best at this. But that puts so much pressure on the kids. Mm-hmm. It's also it's also not healthy. And yeah. that's what it feels like Adora is doing to Katra here. Katra knows that she didn't get in first place. She knows that she's not as good. And Adora saying, you did really well. is like saying, this is all you can be. You know, right. your best is second place. She's kind of reinforcing these exactly. negative feelings unintentionally. unintentionally. I know it's really fucked up complicated. No, but I think that is the case, right? Interestingly, that pressure has always been on Adora. Shadow Weaver, she has told Adora, you are the best. You can, you're going to go far. Like, the the Catra is dragging you down. You are going to become force captain. You're going to become this. And that's all that Adora wanted. She said it in the first episode of season one, right? She's like, I've been wanting this my entire life to become force captain. But as a result of that, like, if Shadow Weaver puts that pressure on Adora, Adora will say the same things, right, to Catra. Mm -hmm. Without meaning. Shadow Weaver means it that way. <laughs> she means the pressure. Adora doesn't, but that's what happens. Right. Adora isn't aware of the fact, almost, that Shadow Weaver was a mother figure to her. Whereas Catra is. Mm-hmm. And that's the fascinating thing about it, because in season one, when Bo and Glimmer, like, when she's telling them about Shadow Weaver and that Shadow Weaver abused her, they're just like, oh, like, mom things. And she's like, no, f- uh, like, commanding office things, but also mom things. She, like, pauses for a second. Whereas, like, for, for Catra, it's so obvious that one of the reasons she can get rid of Shadow Weaver, especially in season two, mm-hmm. is because Shadow Weaver is her mom. It's true. As much as she hates her, mm-hmm. she, again, like, yeah, just the first instance of affection, she'll run to her for it. So Catra, yeah. maybe she isn't aware, and it's a very subconscious thing, but I think she is aware more than Adora is. And it's so frustrating when you know that something is wrong, but it's so hardwired into your brain, so you mm-hmm. still do it, like... You know, even yeah. if she does know, oh, Shadow Weaver's a bad person. Oh, I know she's my mom, but she hates me or whatever. Yeah. She still needs that love. She still needs that approval. She does, yeah. A lot of kids with parents who are narcissistic or have borderline personalities, basically mental illness that makes kids feel like they're not enough, mm-hmm. don't give up trying to be who their parents want them to yeah. be, even as adults. You want to distance yourself, but also still impress them. Exactly. Isn't that a terrible irony? And I feel like there's a moment even in season one where Catra says something like that. She's trying to undermine Shadow Weaver, but also please her by, like, capturing Adora, but not capturing Adora. It's like this, I forget when it happens. I think it might be around the Princess Prom episode. And it's essentially, she hates Shadow Weaver. She wants Shadow Weaver to fail. But she also doesn't 
want to make Shadow Weaver mad by not capturing Adora. So it's like it's a weird circumstance, and like Catra's very stuck in the middle of it. You can see that she's still afraid of Shadow Weaver. She can say everything she wants. Mm-hmm. When she goes to Shadow Weaver's cell to give her the food the last time, and Shadow Weaver tells her to like come closer or whatever, and Shadow Weaver touches her hair. She flinches. Mm-hmm. She looks really scared because the only thing that she's known from Shadow Weaver is pain. Yeah. It's a very, like, unconscious thing, but you can see the fear on her mm-hmm. face. It's like, yeah, you're not fooling anybody. We know you're still afraid of this woman. She can be weak and in shackles. She is the person who yeah. raised you and she was abusive. Of course you're going to be afraid of her. Yeah. I think Catra, like, in an interesting way, not only is she afraid of, I was just realizing this, Shadow Weaver's touch, but I think she's afraid of touch in general. When would she ever have gotten positive touch? Probably only from Adora. And even then, they weren't in a very kind of environment where you were allowed to show weakness or anything like that. So I don't think that she would have gotten any affection. Well, the most you see is like them holding hands. They do hug in one scene when they're kids, but they don't hug when they're adults, really. And that's interesting. So Catra, yeah, she's only known pain from Shadow Weaver. She's afraid of being touched by people because touch equals pain. Unless it's from Adora. Yeah. So it's like... I think that's why she's so weirded out by, like, Scorpio being so tactile with her. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I would be too. Like, who the fuck is this person? Like, you know, why are you so into me? I don't think get away. <laughs> but yeah, so I think she's been, unfortunately, very traumatized by Shadow Weaver in so many different ways. And just afraid of her. Which is, yeah, heartbreaking. On a final note, though, there are quite a few mother figures in the show. We're not going to talk about them. Because I know you don't want to talk about Angela. Oh, yeah, she's a pop. She doesn't pop up a lot. I think one of the reasons we see her more in season one is because she's meant to be this contrast to Shadow Weaver. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Like, so her and Glimmer have, like, the kind of typical, like, overprotected mom relationship. Yeah. She's, like, afraid of her daughter getting hurt. She doesn't listen to her. She's trying to control her, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. But she still cares. And Glimmer can still talk to her. And once they talk, things get better. Kendra tries to talk to Shadow Weaver. Adora yells at Shadow Weaver when they're kids, saying, like, no, Catra's not at fault here. But Shadow Weaver doesn't care. And I guess that's, like, another thing with, like, the narcissistic parent, right? It's like, you can tell them that they're wrong and they're doing things wrong, but a lot of the time they won't want to change because it's other people who are at fault. Exactly. Right. They can't do anything wrong. They're always right about absolutely everything. Exactly. And so if you think that you're right in instance, you're just misinterpreting the situation. So I think that that dynamic, they're meant to be foils for one another, and that's what they're trying to almost accentuate. And also, um, I just wanted to mention one thing about that moment. That was total bullshit when <laughs> Adora was the one who ran into Shadow Weaver's room first. Okay, you can tell that Catra is, like, my favorite character. But... <laughs> so Adora is the one who was like, we're not allowed to go in there. And she runs in there. And then, okay, Shadow Weaver gets pissed at Catra. And then Adora waits forever to tell her, wait, it was my idea to... Girl, it was not your idea, too. It was your idea, okay? Yeah, <laughs> Honestly. Kendra even says, like, oh, we probably shouldn't go in there. Oh, no, and was it Adora who said that? I can't remember. One of them says, like, oh, this is, like, a bad idea. We shouldn't go in there, but they do it anyway. I, don't they do. Yeah. I think Adora, once they go in, she's like, oh, we should leave, and then they try to leave. Mm-hmm. And I thought this the first time I watched it, and then I realized there was so much more nuance to their relationship. But one of the reasons I thought that Kendra was also so mad that Adora left was because... She's willing to leave that when the horde hurts other people. She's not willing to leave when the horde hurts their own people. So, like, Catra can be abused for her entire life, and, Ka- and like, Adora will never say, oh, we should leave the horde. It's true. It's only when she realizes that they're hurting other innocent people. 
That's true. That she's like, well, no, got to get out of this like BS right now. And it's isn't that terrible? Yeah, but also it's because like she's like what in her teens now. Now she's old enough to start to question things. That's also true. But at the same time, I agree with you too. I can kind of see like both sides. I wish that she would have been like Katra and realize it, but unfortunately, Katra has mm-hmm. some apathy. It seems. Yeah. And just going with it because that's the only life she knows. Yeah. I guess like Shadow Weaver's succeeded in one thing in saying that like she's prepared her for a tough life. Yeah. Because the tough does. life being the disliked horde life. That's true. Whereas Adora. Shadow Weaver is training of her to always follow the rules, always kind of almost like have a moral compass. Her manipulation and thinking that the princes are evil sort of backfired on her because like Adora was strong enough to leave. That's true. Whereas Katra doesn't quite have the wherewithal to leave. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, an interesting element of sort of where Shadow Weaver succeeded and failed. Mm-hmm. Final grade. So in the end, if you had asked me this like before you watched the series, I would have given Shira probably an A minus. Interestingly enough, because there were elements of season one that I hadn't originally liked because I didn't get them. Having rewatched the show and realizing that it is so beautifully nuanced and so beautifully like strung together, I almost like love season more one than season two now. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, but, but just because they explore the Catra Adora dynamic so well. Mm-hmm. And now we've kind of moved past the sort of quintessential groundwork of that. And That's true. It's different. Overall, though, I would still say, like, A, probably, for the entire thing. Like, it was just fantastic. But yeah, if, if you would ask me this, like, two months ago or even, like, three weeks ago, it would have been like, man. <laughs> I agree. Initially, my final grade was going to be an A minus. And then upon rewatching it and analyzing it, I changed my mind and now I'm giving it an A. <laughs> It's kind of hard not to fall in love with something when you like have to watch it like really, really closely for things. But oh, it's just such good storytelling. Yeah. It doesn't feel... You know when you watch some TV shows and you're like, okay, this is a filler episode. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like there's any filler in it. Yeah. All of the characters are complex. Exactly. They know exactly who each character is. Exactly. Everyone's so like strongly put together. There's mm-hmm. such nice representation. Exactly. Well. I love that all of the main characters, except for Bo, but he's kind of like a secondary character. Yeah. They're all women. Honestly, I kind of feel like Shira is the new MLP. Yeah. It's very, but like slightly older. Mm-hmm. It's very female friendship oriented, strong female mm-hmm. characters, but a little bit more complicated than My Little Pony, which I appreciate. Yeah. I can't honestly think of anything bad to say about Shira other than the names. <laughs> yeah, other than the names are stupid because they're like holdovers for the 80s. I really appreciated how they didn't turn Shira into just like a male gaze object this time. <laughs> I'm so happy they didn't focus. Seahawk was her original love interest. I'm really happy yeah. they didn't decide to like give her love interest like that's not like there is love which is at the center of the story mm-hmm. but it's not and it can be interpreted as a romantic love like i know noel stevenson has said like interpret it the way that you want to interpret it cool but the point is like they're not trying to force her to be in like a heteronormative relationship exactly. they're not like making it like yeah, male gazy mm-hmm. it's not all about like she's a strong horrid soldier with like feelings like emotion is so important to the story and mm-hmm. what that means and like especially in season two you get into this whole thing of like she wants to keep her attachments but her mm-hmm. attachments could potentially be dangerous That's true. but it's not like in the crappy kind of like women have emotion exactly way. 
And I think that plays into their upbringing was so stereotypically masculine with the violence and the preparing to be soldiers and all this. And so when they do have emotions and they have difficulty with emotions, it doesn't feel like, oh, Star Trek, the next generation. Look at Troy. She can analyze people's feelings because she's a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. (laughs) I love Star Trek, by the way. Their female characters are shit, though. (laughs) Also, I will admit, despite the names being like such bad holdovers from the '80s, what ended up making me laugh so much, um, I like I came to appreciate them more this time around because I like couldn't help but think like, isn't it ridiculous that they had to think of an alternative to He-Man, and they thought of like she, he, <laughs> man, uh, what does woman do? Raw. Oh, <laughs> it's like, and like you can just see the logic kind of working with yeah. all the characters. And I also okay. Actually, this is the one thing I will say that I don't like about Shira, but it's not the reboot's fault, it's the original's fault. Mm-hmm. I hate that she says, for the honor of Grace Skull, instead of by the power of Grace Skull. Because, oh. oh, a woman can't be powerful, can't she? No, yeah. it has to be for honor. She has to keep her chastity, you know? Yes. Like, At least she's a princess of power. Like, that's... Yeah, that's another thing. She's a fucking princess. <laughs> so. She's basically a superhero, but... This is Princess. why it's not an A plus for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But all in all, really good, solid show. Definitely would recommend. Yeah, absolutely recommend it. Definitely will rewatch it. Really looking forward to the next season. Excited. <laughs> and when it does come out, we will make another podcast yes. about season three. So until Thank then. You. Thanks. Bye. Bye.